a listener production. I think I've done really well by talking my way through it and working my way through it, which has been amazing. And I don't feel that, you know, that scariness about it anymore. But that was really hard to deal with. So I'd definitely say postpartum depression. Yeah. Hi, I'm Jess Rowe, and this is the Jess Rowe Big Talk Show, a podcast that skips the small talk and goes big and deep. From love to loss and everything in between, I want to show you a different side of people who seem to have it all together in these raw and honest conversations about the things that matter. I don't know about you, but I really crave connected conversations. So I'm going to dig deep to give you a new window into the souls of the people we're curious to get to know and understand. There might be tears as well as laughter as we celebrate the real-life flaws and vulnerabilities that make us human. AFLW player, author, media personality and mother, Moana Hope, is living the most extraordinary life. Growing up with 14 brothers and sisters, playing in the AFL Women's League, caring for her sister, and now with two kids under two, her days are full. I've always been blown away by Moana. She is unashamedly herself. She says it exactly how it is. Now, I wanted to talk with her about where she gets her resilience, but also who Moana turns to when it all becomes too much. Well, Mo, God, it is amazing talking to you because if there could ever be a superhero, a Wonder Woman, it is you. Oh, that's so sweet of you. But there is the Disney Moana. There's that one. But thank you. That's so kind of you. You are someone that I hear your story and it blows me away because you are so strong. I'll thank my mum for that. I think I get her resilience for sure. For those of our listeners who might know all of your story, you grew up with 14 brothers and sisters. I mean, I've got two girls and it blows my mind to think (laughs) that there was that many of you. Yeah, I always say that my mum could have ran Apple. You know, she could have been the CEO of that. I don't even know how she done it. I've got two little ones and I don't even have time to have a two-minute shower. So I'm assuming she just went her whole life without a shower. And she also fostered a bunch of kids. So at one stage there was 19 of us kids living under her roof, 19. I think she's, you know, the angel living on earth if there ever was one. So I remember growing up she had a whiteboard and all of our names down the whiteboard and then chores to the right. So you'd wake up in the morning and you'd have like, my chore might be to do the dishes or to mop the lounge room or fold the clothes. Everyone had a chore. And she also worked full-time as a nurse. So she was pretty amazing. And I remember hearing somewhere you said it was love. That was what Mm. mattered most. And that's what Mm. got each and every one of you through. Yeah, 100%. And like, I'll be real and honest, there were times that we didn't have certain meals, like we didn't have dinners or lunches to go to school or things like that. But we had a roof over our head and we had clothes on our backs and we did eat throughout the day. For me, I watched my mum give everything that she had, literally the clothing off her back to us. And 
you know, at Christmas time, we got a gift and things like that. So it was the love that my mum showed uh, amongst, I guess, the challenges that she faced as well was unbelievable. For me, uh, no money can buy that. Hearing you describe your mum, it makes Mm. me feel, oh, just extraordinary because that's how you want your kids to talk about what you're like as a parent. Mm. But also, though, what I wanted to, Mo, is a lot of people might have had a similar experience or have some difficult things happen, but they then might be angry and resentful about that, about sometimes not having enough food, about being all squished in one room together. Why did you not become, I suppose, resentful or angry about that, what you didn't have? Oh, because I'm here today, right? You know, I love my mum very much. Like, if only you heard my mum's real full story. She's just unbelievable woman. But I think for me, becoming a mum to Sphere and, and Ahi, it has honestly made me see things from a different light, but never resentful and never hateful or angry about it. Only that I wanted to be better in certain areas to my kids. And I think one of the things that's shown up for me recently was, you know, my kids, I want to kiss them and cuddle them and squeeze them every second of the day. And I knew that my mum probably wanted to give us that and we never had that because there were so many of us. So I guess for me, I look back at that and go, I wish I had that cuddles and I wish I had those everyday kisses because I don't remember them a lot. But at the same time, for me as a parent, that's what I want to give my kids. So I don't look at that and resent my mum for that. But I do look at that and go, I want to be better as a parent in that area. Does that make sense? I can't hate or be resentful or be mad at a woman that sacrificed her life for us kids. So beautifully said. And let's talk, though, about you as a mum, as a parent Mm. now. Yeah. How old is your little boy? (laughs) My little guy, uh, he is nine weeks. He's nine weeks. Yeah. Now, I started at the outset by saying you are extraordinarily strong and (laughs) wonderful. I mean, you have a nine-week-old little one and you are talking to me on a podcast. When my kids were nine weeks old, I couldn't string a sentence together. So you are winning big time. (laughs) Yeah, I I guess I kind of haven't even had a chance to breathe since having the, the little guy and that's just all I know like I'm still working I haven't stopped working which is a bit crazy and I I try to stop working but I haven't even able to stop being doing that and I've got Sphere who is my daughter she's 21 months I call her like the little energizer bunny she never stops and I really want to be present for all that do you know what I mean I'm the mum that wrestles her on the bed or you know pushes her around the house on the scooter and so I kind of didn't want to step away from doing those things with her. I didn't want her to think that I'd gone away or I'd changed because, you know, ah, he's here or anything like that. So, yeah, I kind of haven't even stopped. So this is actually having this chat with you is kind of like a nice break and also uh, lovely to chat with you at the same time. Oh, you know what? You are a phenomenal woman. When I met you in Melbourne quite some time ago, I just walked away going, I need some of Mo in my life. I need some more (laughs) of you in my life. But I hope, you know, listening to you talk about you're mindful of, you know, what you want to be present for your daughter, I hope Mm. at the same time you're gentle on yourself. In those Mm. early days Mm. of being a parent, your hormones, you're not Mm. sleeping. There's so much that is going on. Please tell me that you're cutting yourself a little bit of slack. 
Oh, I haven't. And that's probably something I haven't done well as a new mum and somebody going through postpartum. Like I've had, like it hasn't been an easy postpartum, like being completely honest. It's been really rough. I think for the first six weeks there wasn't a day that went past that I didn't cry. You know, I remember sitting in bed crying most nights. It's not that there was something wrong or I was upset about having a baby or anything like that. It's just emotions that you cannot control or describe once you have a baby and not, it's not everyone goes through it. I'm I'm assuming and everyone has their own different story. But for me, it was that I think one time I, I can't remember what it was, but I think I wasn't, I wasn't paying and like, I didn't feed Ahi enough. And I started crying. So I was like, Oh my God, I'm a bad mum. You know what I mean? It's a roller coaster like honestly, of emotions once you have a baby, uh, once Bub's out. And I always thought the hard part was going to be the labour and that was pretty tough. But the post-birth, it's mentally exhausting. And I know that one thing I haven't done was take five minutes from me. This week was meant to be my, you know, uh, time for me, which is where I was supposed to start training again, and that was my me time. And I haven't got around to that yet because every time I try, I just haven't had the opportunity because, you know, the kids come first always. Honestly, I want to sort of cuddle you up in a warm blanket and give you a break in the sense that I listen to you talk And it brings me back to when my daughters were little. I used to have that discussion with myself that I was a bad mum because I I really struggled to breastfeed. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, I can't even breastfeed my baby. I must be a bad mum. But can I do a bit of lecturing here? I don't like to lecture. (laughs) I used to never like it when people would do this to me. But you are not a bad mum. You are a beautiful, good mum. And you know what? You are good enough. And every part of your life, you are good enough. And I really want you to go gently on yourself because nothing, as you say, prepares you for that roller coaster of being a parent. But the lack of sleep, the emotion, the responsibility for this brand new soul, it's massive. And I really want you, Mo, to banish bad out of your vocabulary. (laughs) You are are good enough. And I think as women, and I'm on the soapbox, as women, we berate ourselves. We always say we're not, we're not good enough. We're bad because of this, 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 and this crap. That is nonsense. You are a superhero in so many ways. And I tell you what, you're Beautiful babies are so <laughs> blessed to have yeah. you as their mum. No, I appreciate that. Thank you. And I, I honestly know that. I think it took me honestly until probably the last two weeks where his smile made me go, oh, my God, I got the happiest baby. And that made me feel better. But it, it is it's hard though, right? Even when he's awake and I'm trying to interact with him, if there's a moment where I'm on my phone answering a call and I hang up, I was like, oh my God, you're a bad parent for being on your phone where you're supposed to be interacting with your kid. Like there's so many things you go through as, and I'm sure you went through them as well as a mum that's just given birth. There's so many emotions you go through, even with Sphere. I know Sphere, once I brought Ahi home, wanted nothing to do with me for two weeks wouldn't talk to me, wouldn't hug me, wouldn't kiss me. And I'm normally her person, you know what I mean? Like, you know, we always cuddle and and kiss and and hang out and she just didn't want to go near me or the baby. And that broke me so much. Like that was part of the thing that broke me. And I always thought, oh, my God, you know, 
your daughter hates you now. So there's so many things you experience after you give birth that nothing can prepare you for, no conversation can prepare you for, but also you don't hear a lot about it, right? People don't talk about it. They don't talk about anything else other than, you know, you're pregnant, morning sickness, labour. Oh, my God, the baby's here type thing. There's no really no other conversation around what happens during the labour or, you know, your postpartum stages. And I guess there'd be my challenges, which are things I never expected to happen. And I was quickly on the phone to my psychiatrist, I see a psychiatrist, and jumped on with her and I was just like, I need to talk about these things because, <laughs> you know, I feel like I need to get these off my chest. And, and I definitely felt much better um, having those conversations. And then, you know, the recovery, it took me so long to recover. I couldn't even walk for seven weeks. So getting some fresh air wasn't even possible. And that was another thing that was good for my mental health. It's wonderful too to hear you talk openly that you were talking to your psychiatrist because I think <clears throat> that's what we need to be doing too. Reaching <clears throat> out if we need help, especially in those early days. As you know, Mo, I'm a passionate advocate for mental health awareness, especially postnatal depression, having experienced it twice with my girls. And I felt terrible shame during that time. And I now realise there's nothing to be ashamed of. It was simply an illness. I think that needs to be said more and probably louder for the people in the back, especially the women who are unsure, uncertain. Everyone thinks that, you know, if you don't have a vaginal birth, then is that normal? Or if you have a C-section, then you didn't really give birth. Or everyone keeps categorising these, you know, moments for women that are their moments. And and however you want a parent, as long as your child is safe, that's all that matters. Do you know what I mean? Like I I personally choose to parent Ahi a certain way. That's my choice. And I know, like I say that, because I, I was talking the other day on my Instagram about how I walk Ahi around and get him to sleep. And I had a mum message me and say that I'm conditioning him and I shouldn't be conditioning him, just put him down and let him go. And the thing is for me, it's like, if that's how you parent your children, then you do you as long as they're safe. I support that because that's your choice. That's your way you want to parent. How I want to parent my child is my choice. Don't tell me what to do. You know, if you want to share your experience, go ahead, but don't tell me how to do it or what I should be doing and that I'm doing it wrong because I'm very strong headed in what I do. But I also think about the other mums, this person might be messaging and saying that that's not right or that's not normal. And the mental strain that that will cause on that mum, it could be a new mum. It's not your place to tell someone how to parent their child. If their child is safe, that's all that matters. They're being loved and cared for. Who cares how they put them down to sleep? Who cares uh, how they feed their child or how they were brought into this earth? Like that's their choice and that's their priority. And I think that needs to be openly said more so that there's not that extra pressure put on women because there already is enough pressure put on women. Don't need that, especially through something that is life-changing for them. Hallelujah. <laughs> you sing it, you share it. And and also too, I mean, you say there is so much pressure on women and I think there's this added pressure that is put on mothers because there's sort of this myth around being what a good mother's meant to do and be mm. and, and all of that. And with you sharing your story and experiences, you are making people feel like, you know what, it's all right to do me and mm. to be me. And yeah. that's also something that I think is really special about you, that you have always very unashamedly been true to who you are. Yeah. Well, that's just, I don't know any different. And the thing is, when I talk to you about this, you're like, hallelujah, or, you know, as if it's a big deal. For me, it's just like, isn't that how it is? 
Isn't that how it should be? Whenever a woman tells me that they were ashamed for having a C-section, I tell them that they're bloody amazing, right? Because regardless, you grew a child and you birthed a child, the end. You know, there's no comparing my vaginal birth to your C-section. There's no comparison. You did your thing, I did my thing. And so for me, I don't see any different. And that's why I'm always like, this is how I feel. It might not be how you feel, but I'm not going to tell you that you're wrong because that's your experience and this is mine. It's just always who I am and and who I've been and I'll never change that. Where did that strength of mind come from? I'll tell you, it was one moment in life as a very small child and it was my dad when he was on his deathbed and I remember it vividly to this day. My dad had leukaemia. He died when I was 12. Um, He had leukaemia. We never knew it was leukaemia. We just thought he was sick. And, you know, I dropped out of school in year seven and uh, to year 11 to to be his full-time carer. We moved out together. I cared for him all the way up until literally the day he died. But I remember there was the week of his death. He knew he was going to die. He must have been told. He didn't tell us, didn't tell me. He was calling in my older brothers and sisters into his room. And I just heard him crying. And my dad never cried, ever. Uh, he never even showed emotion. And I heard him crying and he was having all these regrets. He was like, I'm sorry I didn't do this enough and I'm sorry we didn't do this enough and I wasn't there enough. He had a lot of regrets, so many, um, you know, so many regrets and so many what ifs. And I was sitting there as a 12-year-old kid listening to that knowing that he was having those conversations probably was I wasn't 100% sure why he was having those conversations but after he died I put it together and I thought to myself whatever you do in life don't be him don't get to your deathbed and have a regret of you wish you had done this and you wish you could have been that person you just need to be you and if you get hit by a bus tomorrow touch wood you die knowing that you lived a life fullest of who you want to be and to your true self. That was a thing I said to myself at the age of 12 and I've never broken it. Like, this is me and you'll only ever get me and I'll only ever tell you the truth and that is it. That's all I can give you. And it was that moment. I don't even have to repeat it to myself in moments. It's just who I am. It's like whenever I do appearances or I go do talks, when they send me questions, I tell them don't bother because when I answer them, you're going to get me. You're never going to get someone that has pre-read that question that's going to answer it in a certain way. And that's just who I am. What an extraordinary lesson that you've been able to share with us, but I'm so sorry that it came at the cost of your beautiful dad's passing, though. Yeah, I I guess so, but I think that moment was horrible that he passed away. But for me, you know, to hear that, to go through that at that age of 12, I don't even know how I was able to put that together and tell myself to never live in that moment of of fear of being you or doing something literally led me to where I am today. And and like, you know, I got, you know, signed as a marquee to Collingwood because of who I was. And it just so happened that people like that. And I was just like, well, I'm not trying to be something different. This is just me. And it's, it's so lovely that I'm able to have conversations with people like you who, you know, you say you love my story, but that's just who I am. It's not something that I've made up or I've, you know, I'm giving you a persona. And for me personally, it's, it's nice knowing that I can go to sleep being that person. And let's talk more about your dad and your connection with your dad. I read a beautiful story about your wife, Bella, and mm. how she proposed to you. It was quite an interesting scenario. Yeah, it was. Um, so when I met Belle, 
I actually had decided I was just going to be single forever. <laughs> I had Vinny. I was, Vinny is my special needs sister who I'm full-time care of. And I was just going to take care of her forever. I would eventually have kids on my own and that's it. And I was out one night at a birthday at a club and Bal had just come back from India, modelling in India. She'd never watched an AFLW game, so she didn't. Not that everyone knows who I am, but it was nice to, to meet somebody who had to ask me what my name was. <laughs> and I gave her a fake name, funny story. I gave her a fake name on the night that I met her because I, I, it was really nice for me. Um, what was the name? Can I? What was the name? Though? Yeah, it, it was just Moesha. Oh, Moesha. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> That's not that different, really. <laughs> well, it, it, it was the quickest one I can come up with. And it was, for me, it was a little bit funny. And, you know, I didn't expect it to end up marrying the woman and um, having her the mother of my children. But it's it works in times like this, right? It's quite funny. Um, and I really got along with her that night and she ended up messaging me the next day. And I didn't expect it to be where it ended up being. So... I knew that when it started to get serious, I always said to her, I didn't think we'd get married, but um, I hoped, but I didn't think we would. But I just said to her, if you're ever going to marry, you have to ask my dad first. That would be, was a childhood dream of mine, you know, I have to ask my dad and my mum's permission to marry me. And she took that and decided to ask me to marry her at the cemetery where my dad laid, which for me was really, really, really thoughtful. You know, she took that initiative to... I include him in the moment somehow and I think that for me he was my most important person growing up beside my mum and Vinny so that was it was quite beautiful and she knew she obviously knew you so well that that was what was going to matter most to you yeah that's the kind of person Belle is and she's made me a better person to be fair she's the most caring kindest like most ridiculously good-looking person I've ever met. <laughs> you both yeah. are. I mean, I look at your Instagram pictures of the two of you and mm. if I was going to turn, let me just say, <laughs> it would be for you two. <laughs> you know, you're both just such, I mean, not only you're amazing on the inside, but you're both gorgeous. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, good camera angles. Oh, no, no come no, on. We, oh, oh, but, no, we, you know what? We are beautiful. We are beautiful in our yeah. own ways. And and I'm completely and actually in love with that woman as she is me. And how could you not? I've got the personality to go with it. Uh, always say I'm the fun and, and she's the looks. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, she's she's my best friend. bit more about that relationship because again I look at your Instagram I look at those beautiful pictures of the two of you together and you can very much see that love and devotion between the Mm. two of you yeah I could not picture my life without her and she's just been there for me through some of the hardest times of my life and she's just been my comfort blanket but also my soulmate she just knows me inside out and she just loves me wholeheartedly but yeah she's pretty amazing and to share motherhood with her has been an absolute dream like you know watching her you know breastfeed sphere and go through I just let her take the lead and I just go you're unbelievable I'll chip in when it's necessary (laughs) do you know what I mean because she's such an amazing mom and to share that role with her is is quite beautiful you're both amazing mums though yeah, no, we are. We, we make a really good team. And, and you know, again, I'm speaking really honestly, having kids 
tested us <laughs> as it does, right? It tests your relationship. And if I can give anyone advice out there that is going to have kids, it would be to make sure you still have a date night once a week because that's important because when you have kids, it becomes all about the kids. And I think for us, for a little while, we forgot about us, just like I have myself personally through postpartum. But, you know, we've had those patches, but we always come back and we always go to each other, hey, I miss you. And then we go, you know, why we miss each other? Because we haven't made time. So we make time. And I think, you know, um, it just makes us stronger. And making time, as you say, is so important. Are you able to stick to the date nights, though? I find that's what my husband and I say, let's do a date night. But we don't. We sort of... We, um, we, I know we should, but life seems to kind of get in the way, yeah. all the busy, boring stuff. We do stick to date night. So before little Ahi was born, we would just order a whole heap of Uber Eats, a lot of chocolate, food, and watch whatever we felt like on Netflix. And that's perfect for us. Now that Ahi's here, we have this really cute routine at six o'clock, we bath the kids and then we split up and we go settle each child and we get them down. And then around about eight o'clock, we both jump into bed together and we watch an episode of something and we eat chocolate (laughs) and we talk to each other in, in that hour and we're able to catch up. And it's really nice. Like it sounds simple, but sometimes the simple things are the things that matter the most. That's so true because it's the stuff of life, though. It's about that connection and reconnection as the two of you. Yeah, and in those moments when we're talking, we will just laugh like idiots. You know, we'll talk about things and then we'll watch our show and we'll cuddle. And if you can't tell from the smile on my face, they're like my favourite moments throughout the day that, you know, are, are more important to me than going out and spending four hours at a restaurant which would be nice as well because I wouldn't mind a cocktail or two, but it's really nice to finish my days like that. Oh, it sounds like heaven. (sighs) It is. Tell me now about Vinny, your sister, Mm. because, of course, you're like her mum really now, aren't you? She calls you mum. Yeah, she does call me mum. So if people don't know who Vinny is, but she's my special needs sister and uh, I've had it full-time care of her for about 10 years now. Um, so she was born with something called Mebia syndrome. Um, so basically the way that her specialist described it is she's turning 30 next year, but mental capacity of a small child. So we still, we cook for her. Um, we still clean after her. It took me about five, six years to teach her how to dress herself. So, you know, we're in the process of teaching her how to brush her teeth, um, teaching her how to walk down to the bakery that's at the end of our street. That's something new. So just, you know, little life development skills that we're teaching her. But, yeah, in saying all of that, she's very able and very, very cool person to be around. When I talked about me earlier about being who I am, I have Vinny around me, right, who's very unapologetically her and she never, ever can be anybody else. And I'll explain a scenario for you. If you put 10 different people in front of her from 10 different countries, different skin colours, different backgrounds, and you asked her what the difference of those people were, she would tell you that, you know, one's older, one's younger, or, you know, one's, you know, male and one's female. She doesn't see gender uh, in terms of, you know, short hair means boy or long hair means girl. She doesn't see race. She doesn't see any of that stuff. You know, she just sees the person for who they are. Um, And it's quite beautiful because I took her out for her birthday one time and I took her to a a gay club and there was a, a drag show on and the drag queen was amazing sung her happy birthday, got the whole crowd to sing her happy birthday. It was like the best moment of her life. Um, And I take her clubbing because, you know what, she's an adult and she's allowed Um, and she's just like anyone else. 
And the next day she came into my room and she said to me, I want to change my hair. I was like, what do you want to do? She goes, I just want to get it big and blonde like the lady last night. I'm like, the lady who had big blonde hair and I I couldn't get it, right? I was like, who? She goes, the lady who sung. And she meant the drag queen, right? And I thought, you are too good to be in this world, right? Because she didn't look at that person and go, you know, your hair looks fake. You look too tall. Um, You've got too much makeup on. You're definitely a drag queen. You know, she didn't see any of that. She just seen what represented as a lady. And for me in that moment, I was like, you know, I'm so glad that you are who you are. And I I do not ever want society to change that because you don't judge people, which is really unique to find someone who doesn't judge people, right? Because that's just such a beautiful thing for her to be. So to have, be around her constantly, it's, it's such a nice thing. And I heard you quoted as saying that Vinny is the most normal person you know. Yeah, she is the most normal person I know because she just needs the simple things in life and that makes her happy. She doesn't ever think she needs more or less or she needs to look different or have the best thing or have the coolest things to be any better. That's my version of normal. But also what she needs is love, which is what you offer her and give her in spades. 100%. Love, food on a table and a roof over her head. And that's kind of how I grew up too, if we go back to when we started this conversation. So it's really nice that I have that. And and she's really beautiful with the kids. She has no filter. And I'll explain that. So if when you and I talk to kids, and I'm sure you do this, but I do this, but you change your voice or your tone and you talk to them in like a baby talk, right? Everyone does it. If you say you don't, you lie. You've done it. Um, Vinny doesn't. <laughs> she, so she'll walk in and she, she'll say Ahi and she'll go, hi Ahi, how's your day? <laughs> <laughs> and then if Ahi doesn't respond, she'll go, he's not talking to me, right? <laughs> um, and she does the same with Sphere or the dog. It's so funny when you see her having a conversation with the dog. Like the dog will jump up on a chair and she'll be patting it and all lick her. She'll go, that's enough now. And it'll look her again. She goes, I told you once, you need to give me space. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I'm just like, you know what? Don't change you. No. Don't. How wonderful. Listening to you describe all of that, it, mm. it does sound incredible. But there still must be moments where you think, there is so much on my shoulders. There is so mm. much that I'm responsible for. There's so many people's lives that I'm sort of juggling. Mm. Are there times when you think, I want to walk away from this, it's too hard? Yeah. It's a small driver to my anxiety, to be honest, Um, because for me I think, okay, so my job, I have 118 people that work for me, I work full-time, and if my job ever fell through, how am I going to pay the rent that helps to take care of my family? How am I going to put food on the table that feeds my family? Because that's the one thing I dedicate my every waking second to is the reason why I work 15-hour days is to make sure that I always am there for my family alongside Belle, of course, because it's a partnership. But absolutely, I think if, if my job fell through, what are we going to do? And yes, I can probably, yes, I'll go get another job, but that fear of not being able to take care of him. And and also sometimes I just want a break, <laughs> you know, and that's kind of why me and Belle ran away to Byron Bay last week because I was just like, it's everything that's happening is, is too much. My postpartum, you know, Vinny's going through, a, you know, a development stage of kind of like a teenager stage. So she's being quite rebellious. <laughs> um, 
the kids, I just need, I need time for me. I need to go away. I need to chase the sun and I need to be in an ocean. That's what I wanted. So we literally booked flights and we just left and, and I got all of that, which was so nice, the sun, the ocean and the the me time, which was, which was really nice. So I do have those moments 100%. I'm not going to sit here and say my life is amazing and I've got everything I could dream of. It's difficult and I think it's really important that I'm honest with that because I don't want it all to sound like rainbows and butterflies. In terms of who then you turn to when it is hard, is it Belle? It's always Belle. Yeah, she's pretty amazing. Like if if I wake up in the morning and I just say, look, I'm mentally, I, I'm challenged. Like I, I feel like I'm having a little bit of anxiety. She'll go, okay, I've got the kids go go for a walk, go for a run, go to a gym session because they're my outlets. That's my exercise is my one thing that I always feel more clear when I, once I finish it. She'll say, go do something or, you know, do you want to sleep? Go have a nap. It doesn't matter what she's got on her plate. She'll just do that. And it's that's another huge reason why I love that woman. Oh. When you talk about your postpartum, mm. are you referring to the time after you've had your baby or that you are experiencing some postnatal depression? I would say, yeah, I'd say postpartum depression. I've definitely experienced it and it's why I needed to reach out to my psychiatrist because um, I wanted to make sure that mentally I was getting that support because it was things that I just felt like I wasn't good enough. You know, my birth for me was very traumatic. It was really something that I I cried for days about. It was really hard to deal with and I really needed to deal with that. That was something that, you know, I'm still, I think I've done really well by talking my way through it and working my way through it, which has been amazing. And I don't feel that, you know, that scariness about it anymore, but that was really hard to deal with. So I'd definitely say postpartum depression, yeah. And do you think too, I mean, I'm sorry that you had to go through such a a traumatic birth. Do you think part of that too is because of your, I suppose, being an athlete and and thinking about performance and how you perform under pressure, so to speak, that almost what your body was letting you down, even though it wasn't, but is that how you felt? I think that mine was a little bit different to that. I think for me, so for the birth, it was a 24-hour birth or 25-hour birth and I didn't know the mental but physical side of it like I'd never experienced pain like that and I don't want to scare women away that's about to have birth or going to have birth because I would go through that a hundred times over if it means it gave me ahi at the end it is challenging it's really challenging I got the epidural after about 10 hours and then and then once we got to around about the once we got to the 24 25 hour mark the little guy's heart rate started to drop just suddenly. And they called my obstetrician. She was making her way in, but they had to quickly try and make me push before she she got in. I never knew what was going on. I had no idea what was happening. I had no idea why it was in such a rush. My obstetrician got in. I pushed once for her and she was like, Mo, we have to get him out real quick. And in this moment, I was awake for 25 hours going through this labor. I was in and out of consciousness, right? I was ig exhausted. I had no control over my body or I couldn't even think about what was happening. I couldn't, I didn't understand what was happening. I just did whatever they said to do, which, which was all great things. Like they were there to support me. And so the, she cut the DPZ on me, pulled him out um, and he wasn't breathing. 
right? So he wasn't breathing when they got him out. They put him on me. You know, they always put him on on the mum and then if they, they wait to see if the baby comes through and I just felt like he's not moving and I just straight away I was like, nah, nah, take him, fix him. And they worked on him for a couple of minutes and they got him breathing again, which I was just so grateful for. But the things that I didn't know, like I didn't, I wasn't prepared for that. I was not prepared for him not to breathe. I was not prepared for an episiotomy. Um, they did a, a met call twice for him. So there was a lot of people rushing into the room when he was born. I'm normally a very personal person um, and it didn't matter to me in this moment, but post-birth it mattered to me. But in that moment of about 15 people coming in, I was in stirrups, completely naked, blood everywhere. And I had all these 15 strangers coming into the room to help save my son wouldn't change that for the world but afterward that was very confronting for me do you know what I mean and that's just because of who I am so um for me I kind of felt like why didn't I have the strength I should have had the strength to push harder or to be more alert or be more awake to those moments so that I could have been better because if something had happened to him I think for me personally I would have probably blamed myself right because I felt like I could have been better in those moments um So there was a lot for me to digest. And that is so much to sort of get your head around and it's that also that sense, I think, of being gentle on yourself and realising that that you're not superhuman. And I would imagine then too that then your relationship with your body changes after Mm. you have a baby, doesn't it? Oh, my God, for the best. It it changes for the absolute best. And um, I love myself way more now than what I did before I gave birth. And that's bizarre. And Belle said that would happen. I was like, I don't know what you mean. And after you give birth, it changes you and it changes you in a way that I can't describe. You know, after I gave birth, I was looking at myself going, I am, I'm a pretty amazing human. I carried a child around for nine months. My body is unbelievable. I don't care what it looks like. It's unbelievable. And I used to care a lot. I'd never cared a lot. And then I played AFLW and I got told from one of my coaches that I was fat. And then I was a little bit worried about how I looked, which is bizarre for me because I don't let anyone affect me. But that thing doesn't bother me anymore at, at all. I was in a bikini just last week in Byron Bay, eight weeks after giving birth, do you think I care? No, I think women should have a bikini on regardless whether you have a baby or don't have a baby or what your body shape is because you're beautiful. And this idea that women all have to look a certain way to be labelled as beautiful is ridiculous and stupid and made up in the patriarchy days. Women are beautiful in their own way, every single one of them, and you don't have to look like what the magazines look like for you to be categorised or looked at as beautiful. When would you say you feel most beautiful? I never question it, to be fair. Like there's never a moment, I don't think, for me. Like like, I'll wake up in the morning and I look like a lion with my hair, but I don't care. I still think I'm amazing, right? Who cares? I don't don't need to look a certain way to feel a certain way. Um, I do like getting dressed up, but that's just because I like cool clothes. But I think... There's never, it's never a moment, and especially when I have a wife like Belle, she makes me feel beautiful no matter what, and I think that's that's really nice. And something I always say, if I showed you photos of, you know, three men, right, you're going to find one attractive and I'm not going to find them attractive, right? That does not make that man ugly. It just means you're attracted to him and I'm not. So just because somebody doesn't find someone attractive, it does not automatically make them ugly just means they're not attractive to you. To someone else, they're beautiful. 
right? So, you know, automatically calling women ugly or telling them that they're not good looking is just in your eyes. It's not in someone else's. And I, I really don't like that. So, um, you know, everyone's beautiful in their own way and somebody finds them beautiful. How did you get so wise? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea. Maybe it's just uh, just a childhood that I had that had made me grow up very quick. I just want to finish by asking you, what would you say to that little girl who grew up going to bed with a footy each night? What would you tell her now? I'd tell her nothing. I would tell her absolutely nothing and I wouldn't change a thing because everything I've experienced in life, whether it's hard, tough, um, it made me who I am and it shaped me to who I am. And even if I've made mistakes, I've learned from them and that's most important. Um, so I would just say enjoy the roller coaster. That's it. Mo, thank you so much for sharing <laughs> some of your roller coaster with us. I'd like <laughs> to come along for the ride too. <laughs> You're, you are so welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, beautiful. Pleasure. Oh, wow. How about Mo? There is so much that we can learn from her. I'm still blown away by how wise she is, how together she is, and just what a phenomenal kick-ass, if I can say that, woman she is. I just love her. Now, if you'd like to join Mo and some other famous women, including international model M. Rata and singer Amy Shepard, who are turning up the volume on body positivity and shifting the self-love conversation, head to bodfest.com.au for either virtual or in-person tickets. I love that you can get these tickets virtually. It means no one needs to miss out. Now, for more big conversations like this, follow the Jess Rowe Big Talk Show podcast. And while you're there, I'd love for you to leave one of those beautiful, big, sparkly reviews or share it with a friend. Now, if you enjoyed this episode with Moana, you might like my chat with Casey Donovan. I think the biggest lesson is just to keep getting back up, keep getting up, keep teaching yourself new things, keep learning, keep asking questions, keep moving forward and loving yourself is I think the biggest thing you can do in life and it's never easy there are days that you know everything is hard and and that's okay yeah just get back up and and keep going the Jess Rowe big talk show was presented by me Jess Rowe executive producer Nick McClure Audio producer, Nikki Sitch. Supervising producer, Sam Kavanagh. Until next time, remember to live big. Life is just too crazy and glorious to waste time on the stuff that doesn't matter. Listener.